Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Wayne Grant, Head of Strategy Delivery at Heritage Bank. It's great to have you along today. You may be a long-term listener to the Arate podcast, in which case you'd know that I have previously interviewed the CEO of Heritage Bank, Peter Locke, for this podcast in one of my earlier episodes. So it's fantastic to have the opportunity to catch up with Wayne, a newer member of the executive leadership team there, and have a chat about his background and also what Heritage are doing in terms of their ongoing strategy and digitisation. But before I introduce Wayne to you properly, let me briefly introduce myself for those who are new to the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive. And we recruit CEOs, senior leaders and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. So if you have any vacancies in your team that we can assist you with, I would welcome the opportunity to have a chat to you about that. Let me now introduce to you Wayne Grant. Wayne Grant is originally from South Africa, however is now based in Brisbane, Australia. He is the Head of Strategy Delivery for Heritage Bank. Heritage is proud of being Australia's largest customer-owned bank and even prouder of their mutual status. With a history going back over 140 years, they are based in Toowoomba, however have branch networks throughout Australia. In 2009, Heritage passed the $7 billion mark in assets under management. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Wayne Grant. Hi, Wayne. Welcome to the Arate Podcast. It's uh, fantastic to have you along on what is an absolutely beautiful uh, winter's Friday here in Brisbane. Uh, What have you got planned for the weekend? Oh, it's a a quiet weekend for a change. Um, I think my son's got a soccer game first up tomorrow morning. Right. Um, And then just going to see some friends uh, on Sunday. But... uh, uh, it's one of one of the weekends where uh, we we haven't got too many commitments. So oh, that's I'm excellent. Are get, you a, get some downtime? Are you a keen soccer dad? I am. Um, I actually, come, you know, coming from South Africa, we we're rugby mad uh, people. But um, my son's really got into his soccer, so it's been it's been good to watch how he's uh, he's taking to it with his uh, little colleagues. And oh, great. Uh, they, how old is he? Uh, he is seven. So okay, he's, sure. Uh, it's his first year doing soccer, and he's. Uh, He's taken to it uh, quite well, so he's, oh, that's he's thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah. My son is uh, in grade four, and he's just played rugby union for the first time. Oh, there we go. <laughs> and uh, I've got to tell you, it's much more exciting to watch that than watch him play cricket. <laughs> <laughs> I can well imagine. <laughs> yeah, well, look, Wayne, just to begin with, uh, for the benefit of people who right. are listening in, just tell us a little bit about your current range of professional responsibilities. Right, thank you. Uh, so having started with uh, Heritage Bank six months ago uh, as the head of strategy delivery, um, I suppose the role itself uh, has got two key components. Uh, the first being that I assist uh, Paul Williams, who is um, the acting CFO as well as the uh, chief strategy officer, right, uh, with 
components of the the strategy and uh, the business planning around that. Okay. But I think the the core aspect of what um, I'm tasked with is establishing an enterprise management office. Right. And I suppose the key link between the two is really then to uh, ensure that the strategic intent and the investment that the bank is is looking at um, doing from a transformational perspective uh, is carried through then into the various projects that are driven out in the organisation. So okay. That, so that there's just that that alignment between um, what it is that the bank is aiming to achieve uh, on a high level, um, then obviously gets distilled down into some um, very real initiatives that that have um, tangible uh, benefits associated okay. with them. Fantastic. And I've had the CEO of Heritage Bank on the uh, podcast before, but for those people who are unfamiliar, tell us a little bit about Heritage Bank. Great. So uh, in terms of uh, Heritage, it's it's been around for 140 odd years, mm-hmm. uh, very much um, coming from the mutual bank uh, and I suppose the old building society okay. uh, side of things. Um, and up until recently, uh, was still very much uh, in that space, um, uh, but has now shaped into a mutual bank. Okay. Uh, and uh, Peter Locke, our CEO, has uh, been at the helm for roughly 18 months. And along with that, he's born, uh, brought, a, uh, I suppose, a very uh, different um, strategic intent in terms of the direction of where we want to take the bank. Okay. Um, uh, one of which... Uh, we're very much looking to take on a much uh, more comprehensive digital strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose where that impacts my life is that in the past, the, the former project office had very small pointed solution projects to deal with mm-hmm. that um, I suppose encountered problems because there wasn't that link back to the strategic intent. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that a gap was was recognized in, in that space. So uh, hence my role and, and looking to reshape the way in which we approach mm-hmm. uh, initiatives across the board at, at Heritage. Okay. And as you say, Heritage, 140 years old, a yeah. Toowoomba-based uh, uh, bank, but now very much a national business. Well, that's the, the intention is, um, you know, we've... Uh, we've got a branch network that's concentrated in the southeast Queensland region. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a broker network um, exposure um, in a couple of the other states. Um, but I suppose the intent is to move us from being a um, a branch network or, or, let's put it this way, a, a physical bank that has a digital uh presence to one that's more a digital bank that right. has a physical presence yep. uh, and in that way being able to service a, a broader spectrum of, of clientele. But I think the, the, the key issue for us is very much still around people first, which sure. is what we stand for. And with regards to that, uh, we don't want to lose that sense of mutuality mm-hmm. in the various initiatives that we take on. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's a... Um, it's a challenge. I mean, it's, it's something that we don't want to lose our identity. We don't want to jeopardize our current customer base, but we certainly do want to expand into new markets. Right. It's interesting, isn't it? I was talking to a, a CEO of another significant bank uh, last week and talking about how 
you know, it was that shift from going into the branch to get cash yes. to going for our generation, or I'm a bit older than you, uh, going and getting cash from an ATM. And now it's really, you're not holding cash much at all and everything is done digitally it's a it's a massive transformation over what is a relatively short period of time oh certainly and i think if you look at heritage um that close customer contact has been um, synonymous with with our level of service Mm -hmm. so uh, we still today have um, uh, a lot of our our customer base wanting that face-to-face mm-hmm. interaction so we, we certainly do recognize that it's it's got its place mm-hmm. um, but we obviously also recognize that um, in order to to reach out to a broader spectrum of, of customers and and certainly to I suppose your your younger um, generation who are constantly on their phones and iPads etc yeah. and, and are very much uh, familiar with interacting with uh, financial institutions through uh, various um, non-branch um, methods, uh, we, we certainly want to get more involved in, mm. in those. Okay, areas. great. All right, well, we'll talk uh, a bit more about that later in the cool. conversation. But for now, why don't we go back to uh, where it all began for you and tell us a little bit about where you were born and mum and dad sure. and your early life. Okay, great stuff. Thank you. Uh, so I was born... Um, in one of the uh, inner city suburbs of uh, Johannesburg in South Africa. Um, my father was a, an immigrant himself from Scotland. He was okay. uh, in construction. Uh, my mother was uh, of Italian descent, but born in South Africa herself. Right. Uh, so I grew up um, uh, in, in a, a bit of a tougher neighborhood where you had to kind of uh, have your wits about you. Um, I suppose if I had to liken it to the Brisbane context, it's a bit like uh, being growing up in Fortitude Valley. Right. So it's uh, you know it was it was the area where uh, I suppose it's all happen happening at, at, in certain respects, and and then there's potentially the the, the less savoury aspects of, of the life, shady the, underbelly, the shadier, the shadier side right. too. But I suppose that in itself just you know builds character and you know teaches you to grow a set of eyeballs on the back of your head because <laughs> you you've got you've got to keep your wits about you but um i i virtually grew up on construction sites my, how old was uh, your dad when uh, he moved there uh so he was uh in his late 20s okay uh, and he met your mum there and he met my right. mum in, okay. in south africa uh pretty much uh, in at a house party uh, in the house next door to where I grew up, so okay. kind of um, stayed resident in in that area up until um, I was uh, uni, you know, going off to uni. Uh huh. And do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I've got a younger brother who is uh, six years younger than me. Okay. Um, and uh, he's still in South Africa, married right. with uh, that. Well, they only recently married, so um, we don't have any nieces or nephews okay. at this point in time but I'm sure that right. uh, I'm sure that'll come and, in time. And did your mum work while you were growing up? Uh, she did. My my mum actually started off as a, um, a laboratory technologist okay. uh, so working for uh, one of the more famous um, pathologists in, in South Africa um, but uh, after a while I think she she got tired of it and, and moved into advertising of all things. Okay. Uh, and she retired this year after 25 years with um, the Young and Rubicum group. So okay. she, uh, I think, uh, obviously advertising was just her niche uh, area. She's um, 
she was in the client services side. And yep. I suppose I I get my um, I get my slight Italian flair from her in terms of being able to use my hands and be very expressive <laughs> when I talk. Not that you can um, see that on the podcast. No, not at all. But there are hands flying here, folks. Yes. And, and so um, uh, when you were at high school, yes. uh, you know, what were the kind of things that were percolating in your own mind about what you wanted to do when you grew up? Oh, I, um, weirdly enough, I, I was growing up in South Africa, I was a, a keen nature lover and mm-hmm. I uh, also used to have a menagerie of pets so uh, up until about uh, I suppose the equivalent of uh, year nine I was very keen to to pursue a career in veterinary medicine or something right. along those lines yeah um, but I suppose as, as you mature and you kind of um, start to realize that potentially you have other skill sets um, I realized that I was both quite creative and, and enjoyed interacting with uh, with people and sharing ideas but at the same time was very technical so mm-hmm. so enjoyed um, you know the the side of uh, school around very technical subjects and um, technical drawing etc so um, you know just through chatting to various people and, and obviously as I said having having grown up on construction sites uh, with my dad I just it kind of evolved into me then um, deciding to study architecture, right? Uh, which uh, I did. I was uh, was accepted at one of the universities in in South Africa, um, and studied architecture um, through them. Okay, and did you have sort of part time jobs along the way? I did. I landed up uh, in 1996. I had to uh, do a prac year for an architect in one of the Leafy, leafier suburbs of, of Johannesburg and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it was a small practice, so we mostly did residential dwellings. Right. Um, and a great opportunity to really um, get to, to grips more with the actual construction uh, project management side, mm-hmm. which I think is where uh, where I suppose my um, keen sense for, for getting into the actual um, organizing and, and leading um, initiatives came about because um, it's one thing to to be quite creative and come up with novel concepts. I suppose it's it's a lot more demanding when you've been given a, a set budget. Yeah. You've actually got to start to deliver sure. certain outcomes, uh, and I quite quite enjoyed that challenge. And I think that was my 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 first exposure really to uh, a transformation in a and a project kind of. Um, uh, environment and, okay. and I suppose that that gave rise to inadvertently to to my career development uh, down the line. So uh, once you finish your architectural degree, yes. what what happened then? Uh, so unfortunately, um, South Africa was uh, in a recession at that stage, and um, really the the construction industry was was in really poor shape, and the the job prospects were were few and far between for experienced architects, let alone people that are, you know, just um, qualified, etc. So um, I actually landed up getting a job um, oh, just through, I suppose, desperation for wanting to earn some, some an income. I got a job with uh, one of the uh, four major banks in South Africa. Right. And um, wasn't really wasn't quite sure what I was going to be doing there. And um, must be honest, if if I had if somebody had said to me a couple of years earlier you'd be working for a bank, I would have 
laughed them out the room. But um, weirdly enough, uh, just through sheer circumstance, got taken in um, to the bank. Uh, originally actually started working off uh, in their, their contact center, which was very new. It was a very new aspect of the bank. Mm-hmm. It was, um, you know, telephone banking, um, internet banking were all only coming to the fore in those days. And in a very short space in time, moved into a management type role where I was uh, leading a team of analysts looking at various uh, projects uh, related to the contact center, but but ultimately evolving into other aspects of the banking environment. Um, and uh, yeah, that was my that was my first uh, real shift then onto the other side of the the corporate uh, fence. Right. And, um, and and realized that that was something that I actually enjoyed and, and was quite good at. So uh, any regrets that you never uh, pursued an actual career in architecture? Uh, uh, that does always nag at the back of my mind. Right. I suppose it's one of those things where you kind of um, you know you just you kind of think well what could have been um, mm-hmm. I don't know that it's um, deep regrets I don't think that it's you know I'm, I'm very very happy in terms of where I'm at in my career at this point in time yeah I, I don't necessarily know if I'd stayed in the construction industry that I would have had the amount of growth personal growth as well as um, opportunities mm-hmm. would have um, existed well what have presented themselves um, you know my my present life journey um, but I suppose at some stage there, there's always that element of thinking well I'd like to, even if it's you know on a part-time basis, just somehow have an outlet around the creativity yeah. side of things. Because yeah. I think that that's uh, that for me is uh, is still something that um, that I feel I I need to get involved in. So for the time being, it's uh, it's it's drawing with my kids and getting them to right. you know, sort of enjoy uh, enjoy being creative and coming up with you know building certain things. So that I suppose is my outlet at this uh-huh. point in time. You're a keen Lego man, I imagine. Oh, very much so, very <laughs> much so. <laughs> and so uh, you worked with First National Bank for you know uh, almost ten years. Yes. Uh, and then from there went across to Investec. Yeah. So Investec um, at that stage, obviously it was uh, born and bred in in South Africa um, initially. Um, quite quite a different bank to the to the four mainstay banks. So. Right. Um, different to heritage, but I suppose if you have to think about it, uh, was not one of the big four banks, mm-hmm. but had a very different way in which they were looking at doing things. Mm-hmm. But very much in the investment banking space, but a very um, a very different mindset. And they they were the type of organisation that if you got in there, you were considered to be you know pretty highly regarded. I right. think I went through. 11 interviews in total to actually get into wow. the the organization and that was something that they they did on purpose they they really i suppose they they pressurized you from the perspective of you you had to keenly show that you mm-hmm. wanted to get into the organization right. and and they had a multitude of different types of interviews um and i think it was very much a case of um stephen kossif who is still um the current um, head of the bank, um, the the sentiment that came through from from that leadership team was always um, higher for attitude. Uh, you know the technical capability mm-hmm. and that can can be dealt with mm-hmm. at a later stage. You can always be sent on 
training courses to get accredited or you know obtain master's degrees or whatever the mm-hmm. case may be but i think it was very much about do you have do you have the right temperament and personality to work in that type of environment right uh, under a very different type of um pressure okay um and uh, i think the australian equivalent would probably be macquarie bank uh, from what who, I've heard, yeah, I, I, I certainly know that Investec then branched off into the UK and, and um, parts of Australia. From what I've seen in terms of literature and, and news stories and stuff like that, Macquarie, I think, would most probably be yeah. the equivalent. Yeah. As a recruiter, trying to recruit from Macquarie, which I haven't done for a little <laughs> while, but boy, it was very challenging. You know, you would uh, present candidates and the line manager would get very excited about them and then there'd be time to do the psychometric testing. And Macquarie had a very uh, mandated rule that unless a person looked exactly like a Macquarie person, yes. irrespective of competency and the desire of the hiring manager to hire them no it was a no-go so uh yeah interesting and so um at investec uh head of project delivery so what sort of projects were you delivering there so i worked in the uh what they called the central it team um so uh we dealt with more the um global and strategic initiatives Mm -hmm. um strategic Investec had a business model where I suppose each of the business units, such as their private banking suite, had their own set of project managers working on their very specific mm-hmm. requirements and, and initiatives. Uh, we dealt with the more broad range um, initiatives. And I suppose that in itself posed some very different challenges around stakeholder management because, mm-hmm. because people had a very um, keen sense of that they uh, passionately protected uh, their brand within the Investec um, group uh, to then go and try and bro- broach those silos mm-hmm. uh, with a, um, a broad-ranging initiative um, was was fraught with challenges. Sure, you know, that that in itself was was most probably the most single most. Um, challenging area within that environment and uh, uh, but uh, but but what I learned was how to then deal with a multitude of stakeholders mm-hmm. who um, I suppose have a very keen sense of what they want mm-hmm. and don't necessarily um, share those opinions with with their peers okay. in, in other areas. So. Um, it's, it's it's almost like you you've got to have a bit of a hostage negotiator mentality of there's a bit of give and take and, mm-hmm. but at, at all times you've you've got to put the the best interests of the bank mm-hmm. forward and I think as long as you've got that um, golden thread mm-hmm. throughout everything that you do it sets you up for for success I think as soon as you um, get blindsided by people's personal interests etc I think unfortunately that that's where um, things tend to go a bit pear-shaped. But, okay. Um, so it's very. It was. It was a, a good learning curve for me in terms of mm-hmm. really understanding how to assess each situation on its merit mm-hmm. and, and come up with the best possible solution. Okay. And uh, four years with Investec, and then off to Standard Bank. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, the GFC uh, hit while I was um, at Investec, and. Um, it reshaped the business slightly, um, and I think uh, certainly the project environment uh, went through quite a significant amount of change. Um, I was then presented with the opportunity to work 
uh, with um, Standard Bank, which is the largest, not only the largest bank in South Africa, it's the largest bank by asset through Africa. Okay. And they were embarking on a journey where they were rolling out a new core banking platform mm -hmm. to their various um, businesses across Africa. So I I was um, part of the senior leadership around um, around that initiative, and um, it was tough. You know, mm -hmm. we uh, we worked in several of the African countries, uh, so it was a way, you know, I was away from home a lot. Um, my wife, by that stage, was uh, we had a um, our oldest daughter, and uh, my wife was. Uh, had just had twins, right. so our, uh, which was supposed to be our second child, turned into our second and third <laughs> child. Um, so it, it was a it was a tough uh, mm. a, a tough gig, mm. um, living out of a suitcase at times and, and going to um, exotic places that you didn't even get to see because you were literally going yeah, sure. from the hotel to the uh, the banking head office and then back to the hotel and back onto a plane. So. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was uh, it, it was a very challenging environment, and as anybody who's ever worked on any kind of um, core banking upgrade will tell you, they they age you prematurely. Right. They, um, they really are quite uh, difficult um, okay. initiatives. And so in a way, I'm quite glad that you know. Sorry to just come back to the point at Heritage, we're not embarking on that journey. We're actually going a different route. So. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I'm quite I'm quite pleased about that because right. I think that uh, core banking initiatives uh, are inherently very very difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, and so was it the sort of the personal uh, challenge of being away from your family and so on that motivated you to end up exiting uh, the bank and and going and yeah. working in a very different environment, being BDO? I think it was. I think it played a part. Um, I also think by that stage, I had, uh, I felt, um, I wouldn't say it was arrogantly, but I just felt that I had kind of done uh, the f the full uh, spectrum of of transformational work at various banks, mm -hmm. and was potentially looking for something that was um, different. Um, where I could apply my skill set, but maybe to a slightly different environment. Okay. Um, I I knew uh, some of the directors very well that were at BDO Consulting in Johannesburg, and uh, was initially offered a, a, con a some contract work there, um, uh, but ultimately then was taken on as a as an associate director, right. um, looking after. Um, various large-scale uh, projects, um, but not really in the financial services spectrum. Okay. They, they, their interaction with their customer base, they were at the time doing a lot of work for uh, governmental-owned entities who were going through uh, various changes themselves or had uh, large strategic initiatives. Mm -hmm. So I, I landed up doing um, a couple of quite big pieces of work there, mm -hmm. um, but during that that course in time, uh, and in actual fact, it was just after our first daughter was born. Um, we had considered um, the prospect of immigration. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I are fortunate; they both have British passports through our ancestry. So, but Australia was always very uh, appealing to us, just by virtue of the fact that I think. Um, Climate-wise and, mm -hmm. and lifestyle-wise, it's very similar to um, 
to South Africa. And was that also motivated by, you know, the sort of the unrest and the, uh, you know, just from a, a safety point of view? Yeah, well, very much so. I think by that stage, we were we were living in one of these um, secure estates, that, you know, that's got the fortification around it and uh, the 24-hour um, security, etc. But, you, you know, you live in that bubble and you still have to go outside that estate to take your children to school or to go to the shops and stuff like that. So um, I do think that that plays on uh, mm. the back of your mind. I also think that, um, you know, just from um, various um, governmental issues in South Africa, uh, I made the conscious decision that, that potentially there were better career prospects um, for mm-hmm. myself here. Um, and also looking long term that there were good opportunities for, for our children. You know, you obviously always want to pass on a, leg- a legacy of opportunity. And um, I certainly think that, that Australia, for those people that are willing to put their hands up and, and work hard, there's still, there mm-hmm. are still good avenues for people to to find uh, find careers, etc. So, right. And I suppose uh, you're fortunate in the fact that you were able to make that move whilst remaining with BDO. Yes, I was, I was very fortunate. I, um, you know, we, my, my wife and I, uh, after getting your visas, you've, you've got a year within which to activate them. So we uh, went across from Johannesburg to Perth just on a holiday to visit some family. Um, really liked Perth. But we did make the conscious decision that, based on the fact that um, the cost of living in Australia is significantly more than South Africa, okay. we would um, we we made the very conscious decision that we would wait until either one of us had um, had a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and while working for BDO, you know, there was no um, promises made that I would be able to move to to Australia. I just, by my own volition, volume got in touch with um, various um, partners uh, at BDO here in Australia. Uh, BDO's um, advisory and and, um, certainly their consulting um, division um, is actually based in Brisbane. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't know that we necessarily had a specific intent of coming to Brisbane. I Mm -hmm. think it was just fortuitous that that that's where the opportunity presented itself. Mm Uh, and it was really lucky. I flew in on the second of November and started work on the third of November in 2015. So very jet lagged, uh, but it was uh, it was good to to almost have that sense of familiarity sure. in a way. Okay. Um, but I suppose in a in a very short space in time, um, you know, having got to Australia and then I suppose because it was such a key goal of ours to then get over here, um, I started to sort of really reconsider uh, where I was going with my career. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the uh, having to go out and, and sell your services as a consultant is a key aspect of working in that space. And, sure. You know, I'm, I'm more, a, more a doer than a salesman, right. so I, I was starting to really rethink um, my, my purpose uh, in, in that vein, and I also was starting to worry that you know, my 16 ideas of experience working in financial services would, mm-hmm. would very quickly go stale. Mm-hmm. So, um, And just out of interest, um, when making that move South Africa to Australia, what would you say are some of the similarities in the way we do business here? And what would you say are some of the, the substantive differences? Um, so I think 
in terms of the way in which business is conducted, and I can only speak you know, really from the Brisbane context, I've been told the pace at which work gets done in Melbourne and, and Sydney is slightly foster. I think that's rubbish. Oh, so, well, <laughs> as I said, this is what <laughs> I've been a told. Person, but anyway, <laughs> um, so you know, I, I think it's very similar. I think you know, if you if you if you really boil boil it down to the economies are, are quite similar. They resources driven. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the um, as much as Australia's economy is a lot stronger and a much stronger position, which is great. Um, labor laws are very similar, other than the fact that, um, and I suppose that's where the differences come in, other than in South Africa, we've got um, employment equity uh, rules. Mm-hmm. So, which, you know. Is that more, is that a sort of a, uh, around um, equal opportunity for employment? Yeah, very yeah. much so. Okay. Um, the, the problem is, is that not everybody. Um, employs the rule sets in the same manner and mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of ambiguity around how it, how it actually should be implemented mm-hmm. and I think what what ultimately it happens is that in some instances um, you know there's there's just certain opportunities that are closed off to to people such as myself mm-hmm. um, which kind of then uh, makes it that much more difficult to to sort of get into the more senior ranks mm-hmm. within, within any uh, organization because those organizations have to uh, report as to um, their equity, uh, employment equity status yep. on an annual basis mm-hmm. in terms of gender, race, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I suppose in the back of your mind, you're always thinking, well, uh, I understand that you know there's there's imbalances that have occurred, and uh, they're trying desperately to correct those. Uh, but for me, as a person, sure. uh, it means that I'm precluded or excluded mm-hmm. from. From certain opportunities, and uh, that's quite frustrating. And I imagine uh, that might be a bit of a, a damper on ambition. If you've got people who are working in organisations yeah. and they think, well, no matter how hard I work, I'm not going to get the opportunity, so therefore I may as well take my foot off the pedal. Oh, it, I think I think it, uh, it it does play a significant role, mm. especially as, and I certainly don't. Now, my wife will tell you I'm old. Um, I'm I'm nearly 43, but um, I don't feel old. <laughs> I, I still I still like to think that I've got uh, a couple of decades ahead of me. You kind of go well. The 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 older you get, uh, the more scarce the various roles going to become. So yep. that does become a worry. You mm. know, there's uh, unfortunately too many people that I know that are in their 50s that have uh, been retrenched, etc. That just can't find other similar employment here or back in, no, South, no, back Africa. in South Africa yeah and I just you know I just I thought you you've got only a, a certain amount of uh, or a window of opportunity to make the move in my sure. opinion yeah you know based on both your age and your children's age um, and we just felt you know with our with our children still being relatively young um, it was a it was a good opportunity to come mm. across. And, okay, and, great. Um, and so, how did the uh, heritage role come about for you then? Oh, uh, you know, so just just through sheer uh, happenstance, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I um, I suppose I start. You know, as I said, I, I was starting to have this these doubts in my mind in terms of uh, my future within the consulting space. Mm-hmm. I went onto one of the career websites saw the advert uh, for the heritage role mm-hmm. um, and thought it looked great and, and I uh, certainly thought well that that sounds like the type of role that I could sink my teeth into um, uh, and applied for it. Um, sadly my um, 
father passed back in South Africa passed away unexpectedly. So um, we jumped on a plane and went back uh, for the funeral. That was um, last year, July, mm-hmm. um, and literally got got back in early August. And uh, you know, a couple of weeks after that, had a phone call from from Heritage saying, "Well, you've been shortlisted mm-hmm. to come through for the interview phase." Okay. And uh, the rest is history, I suppose. Right. Uh, it, uh, evidently, I, I said I managed to say the right things and uh, convinced them that to give me the opportunity to join the team. Fantastic. And so when you joined, what was the mandate? Welcome to Heritage, Wayne. Uh, yeah. You know, this is what we need you to achieve for yeah. us. So, so as mentioned, there's, you know, the, there's been significant um, reshaping of the business in the last, let's say, 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, with the key focus on the fact that um, Heritage has not had a great um, run in terms of project delivery. Okay. And again, as I said to my earlier point of of taking the, the strategic intent of the business and um, really then driving that forward through some um, initiatives that, that really tie back to that strategic intent. but have some very tangible outcomes that then take the bank forward. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we, we, have, we had a small team that um, really was just dealing with a haphazard um, mix of, uh, of projects. Mm-hmm. And um, my, my mandate for the first six months at the very least has been to really fo- focus in on on developing a, an enterprise management office with um, the relevant capabilities around business analysis uh, project implementation uh, project assurance and and more importantly uh, the benefits realization mm-hmm. piece of it all um, and it's it's been a, a quite a challenge to say the least I right. think um, I think it's been um, a mix of um, having to get some capability uplift within the team, um, as well as bed down some structural okay. um, uh, initiatives such as a governance framework, mm-hmm. etc. So it's um, it's been an all-encompassing exercise to really just get it to a point where we can successfully start to to drive some change through. Great. And what are some of the uh, projects that you're currently involved in that you're really excited about? Yeah, so um, so I suppose to to speak about um, some of the key aspect elements that we're, we're dealing with, uh, first and foremost, we, we've got a, a new financial management system mm-hmm. uh, coming on online in the next uh, 18 months. Oh, well, it's not even 18 months anymore. It's next year, March, that it's, it just shows you how time's flown. Uh, that we've uh, got to have in place. And it's very, you know, that, that'll go a long way to um, assisting us as an organization to have better um, insight in terms of our um, finances and mm-hmm. our, the analytics off the back of that to mm-hmm. make um, key um, business decisions, etc. And we'll also have tighter controls around our spend, so that you know we um, is is really a, of a core focus to us. And um, as I said, uh, um, my my boss is uh, uh, he's doubled down on this one because as the C acting CFO, uh, that he's the project sponsor. Okay, he's also the uh, the head of the EMO at the same time. You know, ultimately, so. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm accountable to him from that perspective as well. So he is your uh, boss and your customer. He's my boss and my customer. So that uh, <laughs> makes, uh, right. makes, makes for an interesting, well, they uh, between a yeah. rock and a hard place. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've certainly got our work cut out for us there. Um, and then there's, there's, um, a lot of exciting new initiatives that, um, are coming down the track. Mm. We, um, we've embarked on a journey this year of, um, coming up with our budgets or going through our budgeting process, let's put it that way, in, in a slightly different manner, mm-hmm. where um, the areas have had to have a bit more of a transparent and coordinated way in which they've gone about requesting um, capital budget um, uh, for the next financial year. And obviously, being a mutual bank, we are uh, capital constrained. We, mm-hmm. we don't have the coffers that the big four banks have so mm-hmm. we've we've had to have a, a level of uh, or, or be a bit prudent in terms of we've, we've got this exciting challenge of, of moving to a digital uh, bank mm. but you know taking into account how much is that going to cost us and even if we're given that budget are we actually going to realistically be able to deliver that within the next financial year so mm-hmm. so so it's been a really good journey for us. It's been one of the first of, I hope, many um, experiences where we, uh, certainly at the senior management level, um, have collaborated and, and worked quite hard to come up with um, a point of view of what that budget should should look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, I suppose, you know, as I say, this is where the, the rubber hits the road, is that these budgets have now been given the, the green light and we've got um, quite a few transformational initiatives coming down the line. So we're working closely with our colleagues in um, our um, strategy and architecture team, as well as the various uh, business areas to understand how we're going to now prioritize this workload Mm. and um, ensure that there's the correct delivery mechanisms from an EMO perspective to be able to to see these through. Great. One of the uh, the motivations for this podcast is for people who are aspiring senior executives yes. to listen to those who have walked the path before them and learn a little bit from them about you know, the kind of qualities uh, and the attributes that enabled these people to be successful. I mean, uh, 43, I regard 43 as young now, given that I'm oh. almost 50. <laughs> uh, and certainly, you know, you've had a, a really um, uh, amazing career and a lot of different opportunities. What do you think are some of the um, personal attributes that you bring to work that's enabled you to do that? Um, uh, you know, for me, it's always been a case of uh, don't box yourself in, uh, always see the opportunity in, in everything that you do. Um, I've never been constrained by, say, a, a job title, and mm-hmm. I, I certainly would say to to younger um, colleagues, um, don't chase a title, don't chase, chase the opportunity mm. rather, because the opportunities are, are going to be where you can evolve your career, it's where you will get the greatest learnings. Mm-hmm. And certainly, the if if I look at some of the most challenging environments, as much as they weren't pleasant at the time when uh, I was dealing with very difficult projects, what that does do is it it builds a level of resilience and it builds a real uh, um, a level of um, acumen mm-hmm. that you can u- utilize re- reuse and, and utilize again um, in later initiatives. So, you know, I 
I'm very much one about, um, as I said, I don't care about job titles. I don't, uh, I don't think people should just look at what their role, role profiles tell them that they shouldn't shouldn't be doing. You should always at least match your role profile because if you if you want to match your KPIs, etc. But but always look to roll up your sleeves and just get involved. And I mm -hmm. suppose I suppose I inadvertently sub, on a subconscious level, if I think back to you know being quite young and uh, being with my dad on construction sites you know you didn't have guys just standing around waiting to do their piece of work they were very much a case of well if something's falling behind it doesn't matter if you're the bricklayer mm. you're, you're jumping in and you're improvising and you're helping the the plumber to do something because at the end of the day it's a collective success you, mm -hmm. you want you want to get that building finished yeah so you have to you have to ensure that that you're all looking after each other at the end of the day mm -hmm. so and that's also my my approach i don't uh, i don't believe that i would get have have got to the position that i am in now without having had worked with some really really good people mm -hmm. myself so um they i was lucky enough to to have people impart a lot of knowledge onto me and um, I, I look to do the same to, to my staff. Okay, great. How much do you think your early childhood on the streets of Johannesburg in the ice in the back of your head have uh, uh, supported you in terms of your professional life? Uh, I, I don't think about it as much. I think, if anything, <laughs> I've had, I've had um, you know, as we were talking earlier, I think it's, it's come to the fore in, in various uh, psychometric testing. Right. Um, <clears throat> and also, I've had a couple of um, previous managers who've, who've spoke about my, my keen sense of, of intuition and being able to um, suss out uh, situations quite quickly. Okay. Um, I think that that's, that's always stood me in good stead. Um, yeah, I suppose I suppose from from the perspective of also just having that level of resilience, right? You know, just uh, if you get knocked down, you get back up again, and you just try again. So okay. it's, uh, I I don't believe in um, in running away with my tail between my legs. Fair enough. And so looking to the future now, yeah. both in terms of uh, the bank and your own career, you know, what are what are the sort of things that you're excited about achieving? Oh, um, I must be honest. It's it's really Good to I, I feel good to be back in in the banking uh, sphere and and I'm very lucky in that um, I suppose I haven't walked into a very staid um, environment. There is so much uh, change at this point in time at Heritage. Mm -hmm. and I suppose that's the environments that I enjoy the most because mm -hmm. in that change comes opportunity. Um, and, I, and I'm keenly aware that the bank that we will have in you know, two to three years' time, even, will be quite different to mm. the one that we have at this point in sure. time. So it's um, it's exciting times, and I'm I'm keen to to see the team evolve and develop into one that's very capable and is uh, well respected within the organisation mm -hmm. as, as being a core function. Um, of of our internal mechanics in terms of being able to transform the bank. Um, so for me personally, I'm 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 looking forward to the, to the journey and, and to seeing this evolution and yeah to to getting more involved uh, on a personal level from a strategic perspective with mm -hmm. the bank and you know and hopefully one day having having a bit of say in terms of possible ideas in terms of where we could be taking the bank. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
No, that, that'll come in time. Okay, great. Do you think Brisbane's home for life? I think so. Um, my my kids, uh, weirdly enough, my out of my three children, my eldest daughter, who's 10, was the one that I was the most worried about because she was really settled at school and she had a really good cohort of friends. And she's the one that will tell you now, we are not moving. Right. <laughs> she's 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 very much uh, better down roots um, uh, here in Brisbane, and and uh, and we love the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on the south side, and um, oh, just you know, being able to jump on the ferry and come into the city, and sure, there's just so much to do. You know, mm. it's, uh, I think that that's what we've we've been relishing. There's uh, you know, from a family perspective, you know, on weekends there's there's so many things to do and see, and it's been great. It's, mm. uh, it's, it's a very uh, family-orientated city, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Well, we've talked a lot about business, but it's a yeah. good segue. You know, one of the sort of things you'd like to do, obviously being a dad with three kids takes yes. a lot of uh, oh. attention, but what, what sort of things do you like to get up to to keep you... Uh, to keep in, me out of mischief. That's right. <laughs> um, well, I, I before we came over to... Uh, to Australia I was uh, I, I took up golf right um, for my sins and um, really I'm not very good at it but at, you know and I, and I suppose anybody who plays golf will tell you it's that it's that addictive nature of you you have a really crummy game mm. but you'll hit that one mm. that one shot that that just makes you feel like a pro and then you'll be back for more you know yeah. uh, again so unfortunately my um, my golf bag's been collecting dust in, in the garage for the past 18 months so mm. I really do need to get back out and start uh, swinging uh, swinging the driver um, yeah I think uh, it's it's also been a case of the kids are getting older now so we we're very actively involved in uh, extramurals and my wife I don't know how she does it she she runs up and down to, to various extramurals uh, on a daily basis so I, I tip my hat to her because I don't think I'd be able to even remember what the kids have to go to. On a so extramural, so it must be a South African term. You're talking sorry, about sort of extracurricular activities. So they're extracurricular right. activities, sorry. Okay. So, uh, so well, and there, therein lies some of the, the nuances of, right. of moving to, to Australia is uh, picking up you know, slight differences in terms sure. of language, etc. Um, yeah, so you know the kids are, are doing sport. They're also doing... Uh, extra maths and okay. ballet and yeah. soccer and I know things. So that is um, my world too. And tell me about being a uh, a volunteer firefighter, which you did for ten years. That must have been quite uh, exciting. Yeah. Uh, it, um, I I actually went to uh, I suppose you'd call it uh, kindy right across the road from the Berea fire station in in Johannesburg, which is the oldest fire station in Johannesburg, and it's this quintessential firehouse that just you know it looks like that's something out of a uh, out of a movie and um i think from a very early age just just always seeing the the fire engine stuff i i had a keen sense that that was something that i was interested in doing Mm. um and while i was studying architecture um the one of the the municipal areas next to Johannesburg which is called Santon um, they had a volunteer program with their fire department um, so I applied and I got in and went through the exact same training that that the um, permanent firefighters go through and and 
just loved it. I mm. think it was sadly, um, you know, I suppose it's the world over, but but more so in South Africa, the fireys get get paid really really bad salaries. So mm -hmm. it's um, it's not the it's not the type of career that you can do if you're going to have a family, etc. Right, it's, uh, it's quite a challenge, I would mm. suggest. Um, so it was it was great to be part of that though because mm -hmm. it's it's a very different it's a very different world you you get exposed to so much but the camaraderie and i suppose the adrenaline rush every time a call comes through and would you uh, get called to action quite often yeah well we so we did uh you know obviously having jobs and that we um and at that stage i was still single so very often would spend nights at the at the fire stations um uh, as well as um, a lot of weekend work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we staffed, we worked with the permanent um, firefighters, we supplemented their crews. Mm -hmm. um, so we um, we worked just as hard as them and mm. uh, and sometimes harder. So it was, um, it was interesting. Mm. And um, I imagine you would have seen a fair degree of tragedy. Uh, we, we did. Um, fortunately, and I'll say this, you know, to this day, I was very, very lucky. I don't know how I avoided it, but uh, I never saw any children that you know were involved in any accidents or mm -hmm. or fires, etc. Because I think that would have that would have been um, quite difficult to deal with. Mm. But yeah, very, very sad instances. Mm -hmm. um, I think again uh, underscored by. The environment that you grow up in South Africa, there is a heightened degree of violence. There's mm. also a heightened degree of um, of uh, road death toll as a result of um, people drinking and driving. Yeah. And also, right next to Santon, which is most probably one of the most affluent areas in Johannesburg, you've got one of the poorest areas, which is um, called Alexandra, mm -hmm. and literally separated by a highway, uh, uh, but Santon Fire Department's jurisdiction extended um, across to Alexandra, so did a lot of work in there as well, mm -hmm. um, and had to to really sort of get exposed to, you know, people living in, in shanty towns, mm -hmm. and uh, the the sad reality of uh, the current situation that's that's in South Africa is that there's just such a disproportionate mm -hmm. lifestyle. It's an interesting, you know, living here in Brisbane and you yes. see things on the news and I think we have a uh, we have a theoretical sort of intellectual understanding, but when you actually get exposed to that, yeah. I mean, we are so fortunate, aren't we, too? Oh, very much so. And I think, uh, and I think, you know, my wife and I have discussed it quite a bit. I think you you become just as a safety mechanism, you become quite jaded to some of the stuff. Mm -hmm. And once you're here, and that that almost starts to melt away a bit, mm -hmm. you kind of you kind of think back and you go, "Oh, I actually shouldn't have put up with that. And mm -hmm. I shouldn't have allowed that to happen, or or whatever the case may be." And yeah, and just you know, just to have the freedom to go. Well, the reason why we've got crim safe on our doors is more to keep the critters out yeah. than, uh, than uh, and the kids in than yeah. uh, to keep you know to keep people that you know have have got um, uh, other intentions from mm. from getting getting into your house and, and invading mm. your home so um, a very different mindset from mm. that perspective um, but you know South Africa will also always have a very special place in my heart it's yeah, a very sure. it's a very unique place mm -hmm. and I would encourage uh people to visit it and, and and to to be fair i think the people that 
in Australia that don't appreciate what they have, uh, instead of you know putting them in prison, I'd, I'd suggest take them to a place like South Africa, drop them off for three weeks, and they'll right. very soon want to come back and appreciate what, uh, <laughs> what they've got here. So uh, you know maybe maybe that's something for the uh, for the correctional services to uh. think about. Well, Wayne, I um, appreciate very much your time today. Good. Before we wrap it up, is there anything you'd finally like to add or anything I haven't asked you you wanted to talk about? No, it's, it's been good, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. Oh, no, that's great. All right, well, Wayne, uh, thanks, and have a fantastic afternoon. Great. Thank you. Thanks okay. Well, thanks again for joining us on the Arate podcast today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Wayne. I'm looking forward to having you along for future episodes of the Arate podcast. And in the meantime, have a fantastic week. Music